I, uh, uh, years ago, had my very first kidney stone. Yeah. I imagine that reaction is from uh, you, my fellow brothers and sisters who have uh, shared that experience. It was great. It was great fun. Um, <laughs> we were living in Seattle at the time. It was a long time ago, and uh, one of those deals where I woke up just in, in a lot, a lot of pain. Uh, and so my dear wife, uh, Deborah, took me to uh, the emergency room. Uh, and they took one look at my face and knew that something was wrong. Yeah, you know the whole deal where they, they bring in and they, they say, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your pain like? And I recently told you, I tend not to like scales like that, you know, if it's, you know, a, a binary choice. You know, that's a real easy one. Uh, scales of 1 to 10, I don't know. But this time I knew. When they said where I was on a scale of 1 to 10, I said, I think 12, you know. Because this was more pain than, than I think I'd ever experienced in my life. Um, and, and when I, I finally passed this thing sometime later, um, I, I'll just explain to you, you know, without going into lots and lots of detail. But the shape of it was very flat, like a fish scale, which means that it sort of had a razor's edge all the way around. So that as it moved through my body, it just felt like a razor was moving through me. You know, it was great, great fun. But when they got me in and ascertained what was going on and, and, and understood that I was in pretty excruciating pain, they, they started to administer some pain medication. And I just remember that feeling, which was like, oh yeah, <laughs> that was good, right? That relief, that, that comfort was so great. And I even remember the physician coming in, you know, I don't know, 15 minutes later after it had been on board for a little while, and saying, now where's your pain? Scale of one to 10. I said, oh man, so good. It's so much better. It's, it's like a five now. I'm so happy. And he said, oh, well, I want you to like it too. So he gave me more. <laughs> and that relief was just so, yeah, it was so immediate, you know. Uh, but it was also so wonderful. Such a a breath of, of fresh air, you know. Gave me a whole new lease on, on my evening. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians. I don't know if you remember we've been studying James together. We will get back to James next week. Uh, but for one more week as we've sort of taken a break in the holidays to do some other things, uh, I want to, as we begin our new year together, uh, just consider something, uh, a favorite passage of mine, a favorite uh, thought of mine. And it's in 2 Corinthians right at the beginning in chapter 1, and we'll start this morning in verse 3. So 2 Corinthians, just a little bit of background here. We have a 2 Corinthians, obviously, because there is a 1 Corinthians. Uh, many biblical scholars suggest that our letters that we have to the city of Corinth, it's 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, may well not have been the only letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to that church. Uh, when you really dig deep, it seems like maybe there are some intervening letters. Uh, many people think that it's possible there were four letters. For whatever reason, we just have two of them. God saw fit to leave us with two of them. But Paul has written at least two, we understand because we have them, letters to this church in Corinth. Um, and the church in Corinth did have some problems. 
uh, especially in, in 1 Corinthians, in the first letter that we have, Paul really kind of levels the, the, the beam on them. You know, he, he really kind of lets them have it for some of the, the issues they've got in their church that they need to fix. They've got some serious sin going on in their church that they need to address. They need to uh, take care of. As he warns them, you know, uh, uh, sin is like yeast, you know, and it just takes a little bit of yeast in a lump of dough and it multiplies and it divides and that yeast can work its way through the entire lump of dough. You need to make sure that this sin gets taken out of your church. There are all sorts of things going on there. They've corrupted the, the, the observance of communion of the Lord's Supper. They've done all sorts of like crazy things. So they have some issues. But here in this letter, Paul is writing them again, and it seems as if they've made some progress, but there are still some things that he wants to address. But it's in this context, as he begins this letter, and we've talked before about the fact that letters, and and this is sort of following a, a Greek format. They live in a Roman world now, but they're still following this Greek format in the ancient world, where he starts out in verse one saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, that's who the letter is from by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that's at Corinth, that's who it's to, with all the saints who are in all of Achaia, that was the region there in which Corinth uh, sat. And he says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse three, he really kind of launches into the letter proper. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there. This is a little interesting this is kind of a, a formal greeting. It's a little different than a lot of Paul's other greetings. This is a very Old Testament, uh, th- this seems like something that would have come out of the, the liturgy of the, the Jewish people. You know, it's kind of formal, it's kind of high church to say, blessed be the God and Father, blessed be our God and Father. But then what Paul does to that is he takes that kind of formal form and adds to it the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and immediately makes this a very Christocentric passage yet again, you know, as Paul is so wont to do. So he says, Blessed be, or praise be, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he adds this new description. The Father of mercies, or you might have the Father of compassion. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? The Father of mercies or the Father of compassion. It's this quality of of feeling for someone who is going through something that's not good, you know. Someone who's struggling and, and you feel for them. You have pity on them. It's this idea of compassion or of mercies that's used here. And it calls him the father of that. I just want to pause there. I just love that. This remembrance, and you know, again, we've, we've discussed this at times before, but I think even for those of us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who are his adopted children, you know, I think even so, it's easy. We, we become so separated from this idea of God. We, we, if we're not careful, we start to sort of consider God as if he's really sort of distant. 
or at very least, he might not be paying very close attention to you and I, you know, because we see everything that's right here, and and I see what's going on in my life, and if I'm not kind of careful, I might start to think, God's too busy with other, you know, important stuff, right? I mean, surely he's not all that mindful of, and the Bible says, no, yes, he is. We see this over and over and over again. And I love that the Apostle Paul just sort of stops here and refers to him as the father of mercy, as the father of compassion, of of those thoughts. Not only is he mindful, not only does he have mercy and compassion, but he is the father and the originator of all that. Isn't that a beautiful thought? And I think as we head into a new year, I've said before, we all understand that the time of year when our calendar starts, it's sort of arbitrary. I mean, I get it, right? But that's just, it's, it's a marker for us. And as we launch into this new year, I just love this remembrance, first of all, that God is the father of compassion, that he's the father of mercy. Why is this of special note to me as we move into a new year? Because as we often do, we're we're thinking about the previous year. And maybe for a lot of us, the previous year hasn't been one of our favorite years. Can we just say that? Right? And yet, I love how Scripture points out for us, God is mindful of that. Not only is he not ignorant of that fact, but he cares about that fact. See, this idea of compassion, of mercy, is more than just sort of an intellectual understanding of some facts. It is is a more emotional response. It's this feeling. It's just like you and I, when we hear something uh, about somebody. I received a call this past week from someone from uh, our, our church back in Michigan who wanted to let me know that their father was passing away of COVID and, and could we pray? And I just, I love this family, you know. And that news, it, it wasn't just that I registered the fact that somebody was, was sick. I felt for them. I had compassion for them. I wept with them. And you know why I did that? I get that from my God. He's the father of that. He is the originator of all of that. What a beautiful thought. But then he goes on. Along with being the father of mercies, there's this key phrase here that I love. The God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Isn't that a great thought? And just as the Bible tells us, for instance, that God is love, not just that God has love, but that he is love, it's sort of the same here, this idea that he doesn't just give some comfort, that he is the God of all comfort. If there is any comfort in our world, if there's any comfort in our lives, it comes from God, whether or not we are aware of it. 
I love this title for God, the God of all comfort. And verse 4 starts out, who comforts us in all of our affliction or all of our, some of you have, troubles. Again, we've had now a couple of years with what seems like an undue amount of affliction, of trouble, of strife. I mean, if you want to argue with me on that, that's, you know, we we can talk later. (laughs) But when I said something to that effect earlier, many of you registered that with an audible, "Mm mm-hmm, right? I'm not alone. We understand this. And yet, what we're reminded is that we have a God who is merciful, who's compassionate, and who strives to comfort us in all of our afflictions, in all of our troubles. What would this past year have been like without any comfort from God? I mean, do we even want to imagine that? That God, in his compassion, in his mercy, in his pity and, and care and love for those of us who are going through these things, that God is a giver of comfort. That's the first major thing that I see from this. And again, this title, the God of all comfort, I want us to be reminded in this new year that we have a God who is a giver of comfort. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is so good. That is so beautiful to cling to, to hang on to. This knowledge, this confidence, and and this reminder from Scripture that this God, and even as, as Paul starts with this kind of high church greeting, you know, this sort of formal greeting, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then he immediately makes it very personal, which is part of what I love about pointing out that it's kind of a, an oddly formal greeting. And, you know, there's been a lot of debate about that. Some have suggested it's because he still kind of is, is being fatherly with them, and he's still going to kind of chastise this church a little, so he's starting out, you know, kind of the one commentator said, you know how when your kid is in trouble, you use their full name, you know, Lauren, Rachel, McDonald, <laughs> right? That maybe it's a little like that, I don't know, but I do think it's so wonderful that he uses this very formal greeting, but then immediately makes it incredibly personal, by saying he's the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. This is a promise, you know. And he doesn't just say that he may comfort us, that he sometimes comforts us, that he comforts some people but not others. He says very specifically and very clearly, he comforts us in our troubles, in our affliction. May his name be praised. And this is the first thing. Just this fact that this is our God, that we have a God who, as the Father of compassion, 
it's not just like he has a lot of it. He's the father of it. He's the author of it. When you and I have compassion and mercy ourselves, it's just because we're created in his image. It's one of those ways in which we look like him, the father of compassion. When we don't have compassion, we do not look like our heavenly father because he's the father of compassion and the father of mercy. Yes? And that he, in all of our troubles and in all of our afflictions, gives comfort. What an incredible thought. You know, it's interesting, and we'll, we'll talk about this more in a minute here, but one of the things that very frequently happens in a new year, and, and, and especially if maybe we as kind of a whole world, you know, a whole society have had a rougher than normal year this prior year, is we think we'd sure hope this next year's better, right? But what this passage expresses has nothing to do with whether the, the next period of time may or may not be better. What it says is, no matter what, God will give you comfort. You know why? Because he's the God of all comfort. He's the father of compassion. And there's this promise here that he is in the business of giving comfort. But then from there, there are a couple other things that happen. You know, we... uh, as a, a society, as a culture, and, and frankly, just as human beings, we tend to be somewhat self-centered. Is that fair? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's part of the sin nature. It's just part of who we are. You know, a lot of times we get really wound up in, in what's owed to me my rights and my liberties and whether or not uh, my freedoms have been stepped on and, and what I'm supposed to be allowed. It's interesting, that is not the language of the kingdom of God. We don't see any of that here, do we? In fact, what we see, even in this context, is something just the opposite of that. Because even as we've just been told that in all of our troubles that we are receivers of comfort from God, the point of this is not simply about me. It's not centered around me. Look at what he says next, right in the same breath, if you will. God, verse 4, comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. (laughs) Isn't that good? Isn't that incredible? Just, again, as in the the case of love, where we are told that God is love, and then we're subsequently told that God is, is in the, the process of pouring out his love and having this superabundance of love. I've told you before, I, I love that biblical concept, that Greek word, the, this superabundance, you know, as if someone was pouring you a, a glass of water and when it got up to the rim, they just sort of kept pouring, you know, that it just keeps overflowing over the rim. Well, that's the idea. And it's the idea here too. That just as we have a superabundance of love and we are called to then share that love 
to be givers of that love and reflections of that love to the world around us. Here in the same way, Paul says that we're to take that comfort and not just say, thank goodness I'm comfortable now. But what we're called to do is then to share that superabundance of comfort from the Father of compassion and to use it to comfort other people around us. Isn't that great? And you know, when we as a people, when we as a church behave in the way that the Bible truly calls us to behave, I mean, just imagine what this looks like. I mean, I hope we don't have to just imagine, but, but when everybody is in the process of giving each other comfort out of the abundance of comfort that they have been given from God, I mean, what does that community look like and feel like, right? Many of us have experienced that time and time again. Many of us, that's, it's part of the, again, I don't want us to have this consumer mentality about what we receive from church, but isn't it part of the blessing of being part of a local church like this because we experience that when we're operating the way that God has called us to operate. And this idea that God is the father of all compassion and of mercy And the God of all comfort is in the process of giving us comfort. Part of the the reason is not simply that I would be comforted. Now, I want to be careful here. I don't suggest that that's none of the reason. If that was none of the reason, I don't think that God would be a God who is a father of compassion. He clearly is compassionate. He does take pity on you and I. He does care about your circumstance. The point, though, is that the comfort that you do receive from your God doesn't just stop with you. That's not its intent. That's not its design. The intent is that you then would have this overflow of comfort that thereby comforts other people. And interestingly, when we talk about the ways that we receive comfort from God, isn't it so often through the channel of another person? Isn't that true? When I've just felt blessed and comforted, I so frequently have this understanding that that is coming via you or a a brother and sister who has come and, and given comfort. And I, yes, I recognize that as, as from God, and yet he is also using each other to comfort each other. Yeah. What a beautiful thought. And Paul continues to flesh this out. He says uh, in verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. This is, again, a common teaching in the New Testament, that we are sharers of Christ's sufferings to a certain degree. I don't think any of us are at risk of being literally crucified, for instance, or probably flogged or anything like that. But you know, this is a very common teaching in the New Testament, that we share in his sufferings. It's part of what we're called to do. 
But Paul says, just like we're called to share in his sufferings, we also share abundantly, and there's that word again, see? Abundantly in comfort. Not stingily. It's not something that needs to be rationed carefully, where we need to worry that if, if we give each other maybe too much comfort, that we won't have enough left over for us and for our afflictions and for our trouble. You know? He says, we share in the abundance of this comfort in the same way that we share in Christ's sufferings. Verse 6, if we are afflicted, and, and now it's, it's very likely that Paul is, has shifted gears just slightly, whereas before I think he's talking about kind of a universal we, kind of all of us, when he uses these terms all. And, but this seems to be a little bit more personal for him now, that when he says if we are afflicted, he's probably talking about himself and some of those fellow laborers with him that have been uh, preaching the gospel, that have been traveling, and frankly, they have undergone a great deal of suffering and persecution. But he says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort. What a view that is. That Paul has this view even of his own trouble, his own affliction, his own suffering, and, and sort of has this concept of, well, that's okay. It's, it's for somebody else's comfort. It's for your comfort. It's for your comfort and salvation. And then if we are comforted, it is also for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you, verse 7, is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. The first and most important, most critical thing here is again this phrase, the God of all comfort. That's our God. That's our God. Listen, it's okay to feel like you need comfort. Many of us have gone through a season here, which is perhaps longer than any of us wish that it were, of discomfort, of affliction, of trouble. And I'm just talking about the, the larger societal things, you know, that we've all got that we share. Add on top of that, of course, all of the individual stories that you all have, whether it's dealing with some of those larger things or just very personal things that are only about you. And I want to tell you, it's okay to want comfort from that. It's okay for us to be honest and say sometimes we hurt because it's true we're not called to put on a real fake smile and pretend like we never hurt we do you do you might be hurting desperately right now right this moment i understand i feel for you and far far more importantly your god feels for you Hallelujah. And his desire is to give you 
comfort. But what I want to leave you with, along with that big, big thought that God is the God of all comfort, that he is in the business of giving comfort, and that second thought, the part of his design, the part of his plan, is that out of the superabundance of the comfort that you are given, that you're to comfort others, that that, that that is something that happens. The third thing here is that you'll notice that what God promises is comfort. God does not promise lack of those afflictions. Do you understand? And I think that's where we maybe muddy the water just a little bit. We kind of blur the line between those ideas. And again, I want to be very, very careful here. What I do not want you to hear me saying is that it's bad for you to ask for deliverance from trouble or from affliction. Is that bad? Well, no, of course not. And we have a great pattern of that in so many of the Psalms. You know, the, one of the best patterns we have for prayer to our God, the Psalms. I found so much personal comfort just from the Psalms and spending more time in the Psalms lately so deeply and beautifully comforting. But so often there's also this pattern of, yeah, please do deliver me from these afflictions, from this trouble. That's okay. I'm also not saying that God never does answer and deliver you from troubles. Is that true? Well, of course not. Again, read this book. And so many of us, we can share stories. God is in the business of very frequently delivering us from troubles. But what we don't see here or anywhere else in the Bible is some sort of promise that we'll never go through trouble, we'll never go through affliction. That's not there. Boy. <laughs> Jay said it was planned. It's okay. That's not there. Sometimes I wish it was there. You may too. But do you notice that? We're not promised that we won't see trouble and affliction. In fact, I hate to remind you of this, we're kind of promised that we will. Especially as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're promised we will partake in his suffering. So the take home here is not that God helps us to avoid trouble and affliction. The promise is that in the midst of that trouble and affliction, he is there to comfort. Hallelujah. I don't know. I said before, I don't know if this next year is going to be any better than the last one for you or for us. Maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll be worse. I, I, I mean, we don't know. I love the optimism and hope that comes with a new year, but, you know, the reality is it's sometimes wishful thinking. I don't want to be a downer. I'm just saying there's no promise that you and I won't continue to see trouble and affliction. The promise is that we have a God who cares about it, who is compassionate about it, who has pity on you, who loves you and cares for you, and who will comfort you. He has in the past and he will in the future. Hallelujah. That's our God. That's the promise. And that's the well to which we need to return when we are desirous of comfort. Again, that's okay. It's okay when we have those feelings of, I just 
wish the pain would stop. It's okay. I feel for you. But God feels for you infinitely more. And God is in a position as the God of all comfort to give comfort to you, to get you through that trial and through that affliction, not without any help, but with his help and with his comfort. And furthermore, to give you so much more that there is this superabundance out of which you can comfort other people. What a good God. Yeah? I love this reminder. This is true optimism. This isn't just a wishful thinking. This is a promise from God's word, from God himself, who is defining himself as, among so many other things, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And just as James says, again, we'll get back to James next week, but just as James says that every good and perfect gift comes from him. You remember this? Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Again, whether you are aware of it or not, every single perfect gift comes from him. I want to suggest, based on this morning's text, that every comfort you receive is from him. You may not even recognize it. You may not even realize it all the time. But Scripture says he is the God of all comfort. All comfort originates from and and comes from, flows out of him. Sometimes through multiple other channels, but that it's all from him. And you and I, in this new year, ought to be reminded of that fact. Ought to be reminded that when we do need comfort, it's okay to need comfort, but when we do need it, to look to him first to recognize that every little bit of comfort we get comes from him and through him and out of him. And that even in our times of trouble, we have the distinct privilege of being able to, out of the superabundance of comfort that we are showered with, to be able then to simply comfort others. What a beautiful community God has placed us in. It's the family of Christ. What a wonderful thing. I remind you in this new year that you worship the God of all comfort. I can't stand and promise you that it's going to be better, that circumstances will get better, that, that, that things that are outside of our control, you know, What I can promise you is no matter what those circumstances in this coming year, no matter what, you have a God who cares and who does give comfort. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Take hope. God is the God of all comfort. His eye is on you. He is mindful of you of you. He was this whole past year, and he will be if he chooses to tarry in this next year. I promise you that, because it's not me making that promise. It's God making us that promise. I'm just here to remind you of it.
Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for this thought, for this reminder. God, simply that you are a compassionate God, a merciful God, a God who cares, a God who loves, a God who, whose eye is on us when we hurt. And God, the reality is so many of us have been hurting. God, there are so many of us that are on the, the opposite ends of a variety of issues and, and, and uh, various ways of thinking, and yet, at the end of the day, we all have been hurting. We thank you for this gentle reminder that you simply see and care. You have compassion. And that you don't just have compassion, but you as God are perfectly able to give comfort as the God of all comfort. And God, we want to remember that too. That through our trials, through our afflictions, through our troubles, that you have given comfort. We have come through in a way that we could not have done without you and without your peace and comfort. And we praise you for that. And God, we want to cling to that promise as we head into a new year. We can't know exactly what this year holds for us, but what we do know is that you will be our help and our comfort throughout whatever it is. And God, we pray that you would make us givers of comfort too. To be reminded also that as recipients of your comfort, that it's not just for ours to hoard and to store up, but the part of your beautiful plan is that we would give it to each other. And so, God, we love you. We trust you. We know that you will see us through. We know that without your beautiful comfort, we would have so much harder a time at this. We want to be mindful of that and look forward to that in this next year. Thank you, God. We pray all this in Christ's name.